This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Marketing Matters on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and of course, children of all ages, a welcome to the program. Yep, yep, yep. First, the name, Professor Americus Reed. Second, of course, the game is marketing, as in segmentation, targeting, positioning, and messaging to your customers. You're listening to a Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Uh, I'm Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and Brand Identity Theorist here at Wharton. They call me the hip-hop prof, the czar of the M-A-R, the empirical pimp. I'm legit with the logit, the militant poet, so act like you know it. Marketing Matters airs live every Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and is, of course, replayed several times throughout the week. So with that, let's jump right in and bring in our first guest, Lynn Brannigan. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Very excited to have you here, Lynn. Now, as I always do, I always want to introduce my listeners to guests by giving them some context and allowing my listeners to know a little bit about each guest's particular journey. So I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your story, how you got started, kind of your background, and how you kind of got on this trajectory of your particular pathway of your specific interests. Great. Um, my pathway's pretty much been in the digital space from the early years. I started after a couple of years in a financial services world, jumped over to media working at CBS Television Network in the in the 80s. Mm. and. As they were starting to look at new media, I jumped onto one of their startups, which was called Prodigy. Okay. It was one of the first online services. And after a while with them, decided I wanted to learn about the industry from multiple companies' perspectives. And I, I formed a, a consulting firm and agency in digital, okay. which I took public in the late 90s. Wow. And then moved on to consulting roles and back into the corporate life, worked, working for companies including the Washington Post. And there, ran marketing for them, was very interested in thought leadership in the event space, and moved into eventually this role at She Runs It, where we have a mission to pave the way for more women to lead at every level of marketing and media. Mm-hmm. The organization's 106 years old. Wow. Yeah. And it's a membership organization that gives back through mentoring programs, networking, thought leadership, and celebrating executive achievement as a learning tool for women in our industry. That is absolutely incredible. So you have this background that comes from digital. What would what, what you've been there since the beginning? I mean, this is kind of new territory for uh, marketers and thinking about how digital is going to play a very important role in terms of shaping and shifting consumer decision making. You were there when it kind of started. What what have you seen in terms of the evolution there, and you know issues that are associated with digital being much more a front and center for marketers today? Oh, it's changed so much, and I guess with the introduction of so much technology and data. It's much more of a data-driven world, mm-hmm. whereas when I started out, people were trying to figure out how to take their traditional assets and bring them online. Mm-hmm. We don't think that way anymore. We think digital first, oh. and that is probably the biggest difference that I see with a lot of use of data and uh, analytics to drive decisions. And so data, I love this approach that you are describing here, Lynn, because we talk to a lot of companies, and they, they have this fear of data, you know, this word that gets thrown around a lot, big data. They have this fear, though, that you know it's going to be a little bit overwhelming, a little bit daunting 
if you will, to dive in and, you know, actually take this this type of information, try to use it, make important kind of critical decisions. How have you seen that marketers have begun to sort of overcome some of that, the challenge? Because when I talk to companies, they often say, you know, we're just trying to keep the trains running on time. And oftentimes, you know, it's very difficult to to incorporate data into the decision-making process because you're putting out fires constantly. So how have, how have companies begin to kind of, you know, overcome some of those, some of those challenges with respect to incorporating data into their decision-making in a much more fluid way? That's an interesting question. We had a panel this morning. Yes, I did mm. speak at Advertising Week this week, but we also hosted two other events this week during mm. Advertising Week. Okay. And one of them was talking to CMOs about this very question. Okay. And one of the things that we heard from companies like SAP and Bank of America and mm-hmm. the New York Times was that you first have to understand what the core purpose of your brand is mm-hmm. and what your customers need and have those core value principles that you don't stray from. So there are those purpose-driven uh, thought processes mm-hmm. that these companies go through oh. to try to understand and guide what's right. The data informs them as uh, well mm-hmm. and helps them make good decisions from an ROI perspective. But at the core of it, I think companies are trying to balance data analytics with what the brand's value proposition is to the customer mm. and putting the customer's customer first. I see. So this is a very interesting point that you're making, Lynn, because what you're saying is that the the purpose-driven approach, which is kind of a strategic and forward-looking mindset, can actually be a way to help kind of filter what it is you should be focusing in on in terms of trying to identify what 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 data to be looking at in this big massive universe of quote big data is that is would that be kind of a fair way to think about it sure instincts still prevail in this mm-hmm. world yes there's data but gut <laughs> instincts and really understand the strategic value of your brand still still lead interesting and so this tell us a little bit more about this event this morning this is very very sounds very very cool stuff We host a variety of events during Advertising Week. Mm -hmm. One event we hosted yesterday was about the 21st century marketer and Mm -hmm. learning lessons from them. Today's was about industry disruption, and we looked at um, this evolution towards purpose-driven is a really big theme, Mm. you know, in the industry today, where you see some people taking on approaches to communicating with their customers where they're leading with value how we're changing the world, how we're being better citizens in this environment. And so that's, that's a lot of what we were hearing this morning. And so it sounds like this is a, this is a current trend. And so how, what was the tone of the conversation? Because this is quite interesting. We hear about this a lot, Lynn, this idea of you have to kind of know what you stand for. Last week we were talking about Nike and sort of the Colin Kaepernick uh, decision to, to sort of put him as an iconic sort of, uh, sort of illustration of the 30th anniversary of the Just Do It campaign. And there was a lot of conversation about this, like why are companies you know, making stances with respect to political ideologies and other sorts of, quote, values, as you say. And it sounds like what you're saying is this is a trend. And but let me ask you, as you were having this conversation with folks about how to do this properly, what was the what was the tone of the conversation with respect to 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 those who are sort of doing this? Is there a fear that, you know, sort of bringing these things into the conversation comes with some risk? What are your thoughts on that? I think that many of these brands are understanding what their customers want to align with are people who are doing social good Mm -hmm. and are making a difference in the world beyond the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And so they 
want to communicate with them on that level. So we made an effort to keep politics out of the discussion this oh, morning. Oh, interesting. Okay. That was probably like smart. Psyche, yeah. <laughs> and really talked about the rationale for the brand. Mm. Did that make sense for that brand? And I would say that the marketers we spoke to this morning said it definitely made sense because it was true to who they were. Mm-hmm. And, this and goes- yes, there's a risk and reward mm-hmm. factor that comes with that. And that I'm sure that there was balance there. And that's the kind of conversation brand marketers are having now. Interesting. What do my customers want? How can I communicate that I understand what they want and I can help them understand how my brand aligns with that need? Interesting. And so this is it's very sort of fascinating that you mentioned this point because you're right. There are two sort of aspects. One is about values and alignment here with respect to the brand, but also the willingness of the brand to step outside of just values in terms of corporate citizenship, which I don't think anyone would disagree with as an important kind of thing to be doing. But then, you know, moving beyond that to these other political kinds of things can be a little bit more more challenging. But it sounds like what you're saying is that the focus in the conversation that you had, Lynn, is that there there is kind of a push towards being very open and transparent about communicating those those corporate citizenship values. Let me ask you this. As companies begin to do this, and as it's, it sounds like a, this is a trend that's continuing and has an upward trajectory, is there the thought that this begins to lose its power as a differentiating factor the more and more that companies go out there and declare some sort of angle associated with corporate citizenship or social impact, as you put it? I don't think so. I mean, we, you know, it, it really just depends upon, you know, what that brand proposition is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we had very different marketers on our, our panel today. Okay. And, you know, a Bank of America really sees the role that they play in the world of um, efficiency for their customers. Mm-hmm. They, they feel that their, their role is transactional and to make things easier for their customers. Mm-hmm. A New York Times has a different point of view in terms of the role they play in in providing um, information to their consumers. And they have a couple of filters that they use in terms of their value proposition. They might express that in ways that have social good, but they never lose what their core value proposition is. Interesting. So Bank of America and New York Times, what were the other folks on the panel? SAP, Audi, mm-hmm. and MasterCard. Oh, interesting. Very, very cool. So let me ask you this. I have to jump into this because I, I love the New York Times. I, you know, just watching the, the great work that's coming out of there. It, how has how have they responded? Maybe you don't have the answer to this question, but it, it's a curious question to me. How have they responded to this sort of branding of the media uh, and what we've been seeing lately with respect to marketing of the media in the context of you know this idea that the the, the news media has this bias against you know, political candidates or is somehow an enemy or something not to be trusted? How have they stayed true to trying to, you know, make sure that they continue to, you know, press forward with what they probably see as their uh, journalistic integrity? Did that come up at all? Um, Not so much as to, I think that the one thing that they pointed out was, you know, there are a lot of things that they could stand for. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, they, what they look at for themselves, and I, I don't want to speak from them, but I can just tell you what they've shared, mm-hmm. is that they want to look out. They try to say 30 years from now, if we were going to look out 30 years from now, what are the core things that we do today that would still be relevant mm-hmm. then? Mm-hmm. And so that's what they'll talk about, their responsibility for journalism, their responsibility uh, for informing their customer. And so they don't, um, I don't know that they uh, take on the other, you know, 
issues. Gotcha. So they may stay away from that. They may focus in on like we're let's, we're going to stay within the the basically the guardrails of our brand and our mission and value proposition, and not really get involved in any of this kind of additional you know justification or defense of what we do. Is that kind of the is that kind of right. the idea? Interesting. Right. Interesting. That's what I understand. And so, but that, I think it's a general point that you're making, Lynn, which is very important. And that's the idea that you know you do you don't want to be taken off track. You want to you want to make sure as a brand. To your earlier point that you were making, you're you're focused on that purpose-driven sort of core values that define your why, and that becomes kind of the template or the kind of the the anchoring point for for what you talk about and how you stay on message and how you keep message discipline, right? Correct. Very very cool, listeners. If you're just joining us, one eight four four Wharton is the number one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We are talking to Lynn Brannigan, president and CEO of She Runs It. Lynn Brannigan is a very um, interesting background. She works closely with corporate executives, influencers, and mentors across the industry to develop programs that empower women to achieve their professional goals at every stage of their career. This is very cool stuff. You also, of course, have to talk to us now a little bit about She Runs It. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of this uh, initiative and this effort. The effort that you're talking about is called the Inclusion and Diversity Accountability Consortium. We call it for short IDAC. Okay. Um, and the the genesis of this idea was, as an organization, we've stood for women at each stage of their career. Okay. Our role when we started in 1912, that far back, was to help women conduct business because most business was conducted in men's clubs mm. or in organizations that were exclusively for men. Mm-hmm. So what we wanted to do was give women a seat at the table so that they could conduct that business. Interesting. Now, fast forward 100 years, we want to give more women a seat at the head of that table uh-huh. because we know women are good for business. Mm-hmm. And last year, we started talking about this issue. And the reality is that standing for women is wonderful, and we're very proud of what we do. Mm-hmm. But the reality is the, the, the mosaic of women is, is very varied. Mm-hmm. And we need to stand for all women of all ethnicities mm-hmm. and all perspectives. And industry leaders in our ecosystem were challenging us to help with that, to help make sure that as we look towards the future, mm-hmm. that the mosaic of our workforces will complement the customers that we serve. Gotcha. And that reflection in terms of the the organizations, the thought leaders, those individuals who, who lead these organizations need to reflect the composition of the consumers that they serve, essentially, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so let me t- tell, tell me about this IDAC, because I, I want to make sure that uh, listeners get this. Give, give us that. Uh, give us the title again, please. It's called the Inclusion and Diversity Accountability Consortium. Okay. The Inclusion, Diversity, and Accountability Consortium. Is there a website? Uh, it, it's on sherunsit.org. Okay. And uh, the the initiative was started, and we to make it simple, because IDAC is something sometimes hard to remember, <laughs> we use the hashtag inclusive brands. Okay. And the idea behind it is that in order to change what is a 40-year problem, probably a lifelong industry right. problem, mm-hmm. where the composition of our industry leaders are primarily white. Mm -hmm. In order to make the composition of our workforces more diverse and more inclusive, we need three things. Okay. We need to measure where we are. We need to have dialogue outside of the comfort zone of our own companies to learn. Okay. And we need to make a commitment to act. Mm. And we formed the consortium with those three ideas in mind. 
because the reality is many companies don't measure and many companies don't measure where they are relative to others. Oh. So as I think about this, think about driving a car. Mm-hmm. You fill your car with gas. If you had no gas gauge, <laughs> you a pretty unsettling feeling, wouldn't That's, it? Yes, absolutely. If you start a business and you're selling a product mm-hmm. and you don't know what your sales are or you don't know what your expenses are, mm-hmm. really hard to navigate. Mm-hmm. If all of the customers are, are becoming more diverse, how do you not measure where you are relative to serving those needs. Gotcha. It's as basic as that. Gotcha. So we tried to tackle the hard part in partnership with another organization called Diversity Best Practices. Okay. We worked with them to um, offer our industry, and our industry is defined as marketing, media, and tech, Mm -hmm. a tool where they can answer 300 questions on inclusion, representation, and culture. Interesting. And they only get to see their data. We publish the industry-wide report, but we do not share individual company data because we want them to feel comfortable mm. with bad news and know <laughs> that what we want to do is help them get to a better place. Interesting. Can you give us an example of uh, some of these questions that get asked in the tool? Uh, yeah. We ask, so we, we know that there are certain things that really help uh, cultivate leaders. Okay. And some of those, and, and especially cultivate diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. formal sponsorship programs, inclusive succession planning, mm. mentorship programs. Gotcha. Also in the hiring process, do companies um, have diverse interview slates? Do they train their internal recruiters on how to, how to interview? Mm. Do they train hiring managers? Do they make demands of their external recruiting companies? Gotcha. These are all examples of the kinds of things that companies can do mm-hmm. to create more inclusive workforces. If you think about it, you know, if I'm in this role, mm-hmm. it's very natural for me to want to find someone like me. Mm-hmm. And if 70% of our leadership uh, of, of the leadership in our industry is is white and white men, mm-hmm. it's not it's not uncommon. It's a natural thing to want to recruit others who are like us. Interesting. So what we have to do, and it has to start with the CEO, is infuse these best practices so we're learning Mm -hmm. how to pull people of diverse backgrounds up through the pipeline. Very, very interesting. So as part of this, Lynn, do do you diagnose? So they answer 300 questions or a, a slate of questions. Do they get a score back? It's like how? They do. Okay, interesting. And they so you, 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 you benchmark them against this score. We benchmark them against mm-hmm. the score, right? Uh, so they actually, with these um, these series of questions, let, let's just say for discussion purposes, the, the best score is 100. Okay. Um, so they are, um, they're given their score relative to that index, mm-hmm. that number, mm-hmm. and they see where they are relative to all others. Gotcha. But they don't see the information for all others. They only see their own information. I see. I so see. then we will give them a report uh, that's over 100 pages that will help them understand some of the areas of improvement that they can focus on. And then we invite them through the consortium to participate in roundtables, and they pick the themes that we want to talk about. So, for example, um, eliminating bias in the hiring process was one roundtable discussion we had. Mm -hmm. And different uh, partners offer case studies to show how they tackle that. Gotcha. Addressing the importance of measurement was another 
case study that we shared. Mm -hmm. And so imagine, you know, 20 companies sitting in a room and really learning from one another. That's interesting. Yeah. That's going to make a difference. That's going to make a huge difference, Lynn. And I love this idea because what you're essentially doing is you're, you're, you're creating a think tank. It's like almost like crowdsourcing like the best practices and then getting that, that information to, to each other. It's sort of like all ships rise when the, when the ocean rises kind of a thing, right? Right. And now you have, and this is the best use of data because this is, now you have data to guide your progress. Mm. So we've got the tool, we've got the dialogue, we've got the commitment to act, and then uh, we'll measure this progress over time. Gotcha. And as you measure progress over time, have you, how long have you been doing this, this analysis for companies? This, we've just launched our first annual one yesterday. Okay. Oh, okay. So this is kind of in its preliminary stages in terms of getting longitudinal information across time. Have there been any interesting sort of uh, aha moments that have come out of this three-prong approach of measurement, dialogue, and commitment to act? Uh, I think that one, we didn't expect the, number, the numbers to be good. And what we were so mm. proud of for the companies that started out was mm. we wanted them not to be afraid of the, the truth. <laughs> we wanted them to right. – and that's what, one of the things that prevented people from wanting to be measured is they knew the data wasn't good. Mm-hmm. What we wanted to empower these people to do was to, to face the truth, mm-hmm. to really look at the numbers and say, great, they're not good. Okay, that's our truth. How can we do better? And mm-hmm. these thought leadership roundtables are so powerful in getting people to say, realize that there are some things they can do that ha- are low cost, mm-hmm. high impact, and scalable Interesting. that they can imp- implement today. There are other things that are quite challenging, getting mm-hmm. a CEO's commitment, creating cross-functional think tanks mm-hmm. to talk about the things each company has to do and to measure progress. That's something a company like L'Oreal has mm-hmm. been known to do. Mm-hmm. That's hard work and strategic, mm-hmm. but we have L'Oreal as a consortium partner, and they're sharing their work with us. So it's a very transparent sharing. I love your, your phrase, crowdsourcing, great ideas, <laughs> because that's really what it is. Mm-hmm. It, it's the one plus one is five. I mean, it's the beauty yeah. of of really putting. The, it's a brilliant idea, and I love that you did this and had the this sort of foresight to 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 bring this to this knowledge and wisdom to folks. But I, I love this idea of of because the other thing that happens when when you do this, I think, and you can tell me this is correct, Lynn, is that when people get together and they start sharing, these are the vulnerabilities. Here's where we've made mistakes. It's like there's a transparency that opens up a kind of. Uh, uh, allowance to be able to talk openly. This is the dialogue piece that you talked about, where where you don't have to be afraid of failure or that things aren't going as great as you as you want them to, because you you are getting this conversation going along with your peers. Correct? Yes. And the other thing is that oftentimes companies want to do this, but they don't invest. Oh. in resources to do it. So oftentimes diversity groups or HR groups are resource constrained. Mm. So by getting this inf- and oh, by working together, especially by looking at what leading brands are doing, mm-hmm. they're starting to understand that leading brands are focusing on this because they understand this is where their their, their customers are. Mm-hmm. This is this is where their their future lies. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's so important to us is to have brands participate so they can encourage their agency mm-hmm. and media partners to also participate. We want this to be a universal tool that everyone in marketing and media and tech uses to measure progress and evolve. And one thing I haven't mentioned is the cost. Mm-hmm. And the cost is nothing. Oh. We charge nothing. Nice. And the reason okay. we charge nothing hmm. is because we want there to be a frictionless way for people to get involved. Interesting. Interesting. So 
That's very interesting because when you were described, it's very funny that you mentioned this, uh, Lynn, because when you're describing this, my, my mind was going, wow, this is so valuable. This must be so, this must be, you know, very expensive to get involved with because you were convincing me of the value proposition. proposition. You're saying this is like you're basically the knowledge is, is you're disseminating it, right? Sure. Interesting. So you, you can fill out the application. You can get your score. You can participate in the roundtables. And wow. You pay nothing. And you pay. Okay, so I got to ask you, so what's the business model? How is it? <laughs> how, are, how, how do you sustain this? How, how, the business model for us is thought leadership. Okay. Really, have, as an organization, at our core, we're here for all women mm-hmm. to lead at every level of marketing and media. Mm-hmm. And so what organizations expect from us is knowledge gotcha. as to how to get them from where we are now mm-hmm. to where we need to be. Gotcha. So it's part of, you know, when we talk about our core value proposition, this is, this is at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, this responsibility to our community mm-hmm. to help lead the way in this effort. And one of the things that we've done that we're really proud of is oftentimes organizations like ours will offer something like a benchmarking tool, and then there's other companies that offer it. and mm-hmm. it, it sort of gets daunting for companies to figure out which thing to participate in. So we've been reaching out to other associations in our space mm-hmm. and inviting them to join us. And we oh. say, if you, can, if you can have your customers embrace our tool, we'll point back to you and amplify your work. Gotcha. So that we can point to the very good work of a partner organization that's called the Four A's, of it, or another organization that's called the IAB. Mm-hmm. The other, the, there are several organizations that do wonderful things for, for inclusion and diversity. So what we're trying to do is amplify all of that work because we feel that there's room for all of us and more of us to focus on creating change here. Wow. And so knowledge is your currency, right, Lynn? That's, yes. That's, that's fantastic. Lynn Brannigan, thank you so much for coming on our show tonight. It was a pleasure to have you. It was a delight for me, too. Thank you so much. Listeners, if you want to learn more about She Runs It, you can go to sherunsit.org or follow her on Twitter at L-Y-N-N-B-R-A-N-I-G-A-N. That's at Lynn Brannigan, one word. You're listening to Marketing Matters, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM Channel 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.